The talk you're about to hear is by Three Jewels Lay Senior, Richard von Sturmer. The title for this Dharma talk this evening, uh, the Tuesday the 8th of October, is Entangling Vines. Uh, being a writer, uh, one of the things that really attracted me to Zen was the way words are used in Zen, the really living words, uh, the use of metaphor and imagery. Um, Lots and lots of different phrases come to mind, but um, timeless spring, a board carrying fellow, that's someone carrying a board and he can only see sort of half the picture because he's carrying a board, or um, thorns in the mud, thorns in the mud, or entangling vines. When uh, thinking of entangling vines, uh, what comes to mind, first of all, are supple jacks, those hard, dark vines that wrap themselves around trees and spread um, from tree to tree, forming thickets, and they're a real feature of New Zealand forest. And we recently encountered a really great, um, a great mesh of entangling vines of supplejacks when we did a walk um, between Lake uh, Rotuiti and Lake Rotuehu, just outside of Rotorua. There's some great bush walks and they're just thick with supplejacks. Um, Captain Cook's been in the news lately, so thinking of Captain Cook, in 1772 in regards to the New Zealand bush, Captain Cook wrote in his diary, in many parts the woods are so overrun with supplejacks that it is scarcely possible to force one's way through them. And all of us, um, we all have our own particular entangling vines negative emotions or states of mind that entrap us and seem to impede our progress. And if we try and budge our way through, then um, we often find it makes things worse and we find ourselves more entrapped. So one approach in dealing with entangling vines is to look at them really clearly and closely define their origins. Most often it comes from the roots of greed, anger and delusion. And then carefully and slowly untangle ourselves from them. These entangling vines can be our compulsions, our fixations, our feelings of unworthiness, feelings of being unloved, of being no use, of being, of being abandoned. And they all arise from the sense 
of a separate self. So much um, cause of our inner turmoil is this fixed notion we have of a separate self. And if to whatever degree possible we can see through this separate self, then the vines will fall away and we will experience a sense of release, release and relief. And this is where Zazen comes in. We see the vines clearly and we know that although they are dependent on us for their existence, like vines wrapped around the trunk of a tree, they are not part of who we truly are. Our true self that is no self. Um, there's a great book by Stephen Batchelor, Living with the Devil, a Meditation on Good and Evil. And he writes in regard to emptiness, the emptiness of self, of a fixed, of a fixed nature. <clears throat> emptiness is not something sacred in which to believe. It is an emptying, a letting go of the fixations and compulsions that lock one into a tight cell of self <clears throat> that seems to exist in detached isolation from the turbulent flux of life. This emptying leads to a falling away of constrictive and obstructive habits of mind that, as in removing a barrier across a river, <clears throat> allows the dammed up torrents of life to flow freely. And um, further on he writes, insight into the emptiness of self is achieved not by eliminating self, but by understanding it to be conditional, unsubstantial, <clears throat> rather than necessary. And then he quotes the great Tibetan uh, Shantideva, who wrote, <clears throat> I yearn to be free of pain, but rush straight into it. I long for happiness, but foolishly crush it like an enemy. This is the human condition. We have to see through this eye, this notion of a separate self, before our obstructions, our pain-producing habits can fall away. <clears throat> Entangling vines are Katoshu in Japanese is also the name of a collection of 272 koans from the Rinzai tradition and it's been recently translated by a Westerner, Thomas Kirshner. And it's one of the few major uh, koan texts that has been compiled in Japan. The Mumonkan, the Blue Cliff Record and the Shoyuraku are all Chinese connections collections. <clears throat> well, this one is Japanese and it features um, several koans that have Japanese masters in them. 
<clears throat> and while studying in Japan, Kirshner decided in 1971 to begin formal Zen training. But he experienced his own entanglement. And during a meal with an elderly Zen teacher, Koan Roshi, <clears throat> he asked a question that had been on his mind. This was his question. <coughs> I had come to Japan on a student visa for my junior year abroad program and it remained after the program to begin Zen practice. To support myself, I was working as an English teacher, an activity that my visa status did not strictly allow. Full honesty with oneself is central to Zen practice, I felt, and yet in order to practice Zen, I was having to lie. <clears throat> I asked Kohan Roshi what I should do in such a situation. He immediately replied <clears throat> with a good-natured laugh, Oh, in a situation like that, you should be completely honest about telling the lie. <laughs> It's a really great reply, you should be completely honest, telling a lie. You can sort of savour that, because by studying Zen, he would have been working on himself for the good of himself and for others. In regards to koans, the phrase entangling vines has both a negative and a positive connotation. It indicates that words are traps and snares, but also they're ex expedient means to help bring the Zen student to an awakening. Resolving a koan, freeing oneself of its entangling vines, means, and this is a, a nice definition by Nelson Foster, a teacher in the um, Diamond Sangha. It means reanimating the realization from which those words sprang. So resol resolving a koan means reanimating, giving life again to the realization from which those words sprang. <clears throat> and working on a koan means becoming one with it, struggling with it, and surrendering yourself to it, and only then will the innate wisdom be revealed. Koans are repositories of wisdom for Zen students, and they're really the essence of the Buddha's teaching presented in a very challenging and vivid form. And so I'd like to take up one koan from the Entangling Vines collection. It's case 18. Shangu's Sweet Olive Blossoms. And it's an unusual koan in um, many respects. It's the only one I know that features a poet. There are quite a few um, koans that quote poetry, but here we have a poet who's one of the protagonists. Uh, Shangu. And also it um, involves two masters that I hadn't heard of before. So it's nice to meet uh, new teachers. <clears throat> Goes like this. One day, the poet Shangu 
was visiting Zen master Hui Tang. Hui Tang said, mm, you know the passage in which Confucius says, my friends, do you think I'm hiding things from you? In fact, I am hiding nothing from you. And Hui Tang goes on, it's just the same with the great matter of Zen, the great matter of birth and death. Do you understand? I don't understand, Shanggu replied. Later, Hui Tang and Shanggu were walking in the mountains where the air was filled with the scent of sweet olive blossoms. Hui Tang asked, do you smell the fragrance of the orange blossoms? Shango said, I do. Hui Tang said, you see, I'm hiding nothing from you. And at that moment, Shango had an awakening. This is a very rich koan. This is only the first part. So he awakened through smelling the scent of the sweet blossoms. Then two months, two months later, he visited another Zen teacher, Sishin. Sishin greeted him and said, I'll die, and you'll die, and we'll end up burnt into two heaps of ashes. At that time, where will we meet? Shanggu tried to respond, but couldn't come up with anything. Later, while on the road to Kinan, he awoke from a nap and suddenly understood. He understood Sishin's words. Thereafter, he attained the samadhi of perfect freedom, which implies that he had a deeper awakening. So those are the two parts of this koan. Before we go into it, we'll just um, have a little bit of background detail on these two Zen teachers and Shanggu, the poet. First of all, the first one, Hui Tang Zushin, whose dates are 1025 to 1100. He was a disciple of Huang Long, Huinan, and he came from Guangdong province. Huitang addressed the monks, saying, If someone understands the self without understanding what is before his eyes, then this person has eyes but no feet. If he only awakens to what is before his eyes without understanding the self, then that person has feet but no eyes. Sort of ties in with our koan. If someone understands the self, seeing through the self, if someone has an insight into the emptiness aspect of all things, without appreciating what's before his eyes, then he's stuck. He has the eyes of wisdom, but he can't really function in the everyday world, the world of the 10,000 things. And if he only awakens to what's before his eyes, 
plum blossoms, cowrie trees, clouds. There's a great sense of oneness. Then that's not that. It, that's not it either, because he needs to see the emptiness of the one who perceives. That person has feet, but no eyes. Both have to be attained. The famous words of Dogen, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. No self. Everything gone. And then, to the forget the self is to be enlightened by the 10,000 things. Everything comes back. You can be awakened by the voice of a tui, the scent of honeysuckles, by a gust of wind. Before he died, this teacher, Huitang, ordered that his funeral be conducted by Wang Tingjian, the local governor. So he died. But during the ceremony, the pyre wouldn't light. The Governor Wang spoke to Wei Tang's senior disciple, Sichen, the other teacher now, Koan, <coughs> and he said, The Master is waiting for our senior brother to light the fire. Sichen refused the request, but the Governor urged him to take up a candle. Finally, Sichen took the candle, raised it before the assembly, and said, What evil I have committed! But what evil have I committed that brings me to this? Then, facing the pyre, he said, Now, Master, you must go on foot into emptiness. If you can't ride an ox, please take a donkey. Sichin drew a circle in the air with the candle, saying, Here all defilement is purified. Then he threw the candle into the pyre, which immediately erupted into flames. So that was Sishin <coughs> when he was a senior disciple. Then he became a teacher. His dates are 1044 to 1115. And as we said, he was a disciple of Huitang. And he came from Shaoju. And it's said that he was born with purple skin on his shoulder and right side, giving the appearance of wearing a, a priest's robe. Huang Long, who was the teacher of Huitang, uh, asked Sichin, if, if you call it a fist, you have erred. If you don't call it a fist, then you avoided the question, what do you call it? This is very similar to case 43 in the Mumon Khan, which goes like this. The priest Shusan held up a short bamboo staff before his assembly and said, you monks, if you call this a staff, you're entangled. If you don't call it a staff, you ignore the fact. Tell me, what do you call it? The entanglement comes when we're caught up in the duality of is 
and is not. Fist or not a fist. Stick or not a stick. You have to respond directly, spontaneously to the teacher's challenge. Otherwise, you are entrapped by a fist or a staff. Wei Long raised his fist in our session. If you call it a fist, you have erred. If you don't call it a fist, then you've avoided the question. What do you call it? Sishin didn't know what to do, and he spent two years working on this question before he arrived at a solution. But when he went to discuss the matter, Huang Long didn't pay any attention. As Sishin tried to explain his insight, Huang Long suddenly yelled, Stop, stop! You can't feed people by talking about food. Sichin was distressed and asked, I don't want to be in the place of broken arrows. Again, lovely image. I don't want to be in the place of broken arrows. That's when you try and present something to a teacher and it misses the mark. It sort of falls to the ground like an arrow. He goes on, I appeal to the master's compassion. Please direct me to paradise. Wei Long said, a single dust mote flies up and heaven is concealed. A mustard seed falls and the earth is overturned. Paradise torments you with confusion. You must completely die so that for unlimited eons to come with an unfettered mind you can hear. You must completely die. Of course, here he means you must completely die to the self. And so, for an unlimited eons to come, with an unfettered mind, a mind that's completely free, unentangled, you can hear. After this, Sishin left. One day, as he was travelling with another monk, there was a sudden flash of lightning and a loud thunderclap, and he was instantly enlightened. He really heard the thunderclap. <clears throat> so those are the two masters, and now we come to the poet Shangu. The poet Shangu is Huang Tingxian in that's his full name, and his dates, his Chinese name, and his dates are 1045 to 1105. <coughs> Shangu was his Buddhist name. And he was ranked as one of the great calligraphers and poets of the Song Dynasty. So I just thought I'd read three of his poems. Uh, <coughs> he was a difficult poet in that he used quite um, <clears throat> quite sort of complex imagery and would, would refer to a lot of other poets that went before and with and use, use of allegory but these these three I've chosen are fairly straightforward <coughs> the first one 
Greeting swallows, the wind is warm and soft, moistening the blossoms, a sprinkling of rain, with a single strand of incense. You are content, strolling at leisure in the dust of the nine boulevards. The nine boulevards was a famous um, intersection in Chang'an, the capital of China at that time. And because his calligraphy was so valued, he was often asked to illustrate paintings of his friends, his artist friends. So this is inscribed on an autumn landscape painting by Li Shannan. Wasteland waters lie here and there beside scars of record floods. Toppled trees and sparse woods expose their frozen roots. Where is the skiff with a single oar going? Home is on the southern bank in a village of yellow leaves. It was an autumn landscape. He was writing the poem for. <clears throat> and then inscribed on Chao Yi Tao's painting of geese in snow. Flying snow pelts the reeds with silver arrows. The lead goose is startled into flight. The trailing goose looks back. Who will go tell Shen Shuang Liu? Must be his another poet. Who will go tell Xiang Shuang Liu? Don't say the river is as tranquil as silk. Don't say the river is as tranquil as silk. Okay, going back to the case. One day, the poet Shangu was visiting Hui Tang. Hui Tang said, You know the passage in which Confucius says, My friends, do you think I'm hiding things from you? In fact, I am hiding nothing from you. This is um, echoed by the Buddha at the end of his life. Ananda asks the Buddha not to pass away before he has given a final instruction to his monks. The Buddha says, Ananda, what does the order of monks expect of me? I have taught the Dharma, making no inner and outer. The Tathagata has no teacher's fist in respect of doctrines. The Tathagata, Tathagata has no teacher's fist in respect of doctrines. Nothing is hidden or esoteric. Everything's revealed just as it is. Do not think I'm hiding things from you. Shangu replies that he doesn't understand. No doubt this matter of nothing hidden forces him to go deeper 
to go beyond all thoughts of what can be taught and what can be learned. So we always want to grasp something. We always want to gain something from reading, from listening to the Dharma. Must be some real deep hidden secrets. But nothing is hidden from you means everything's revealed. Everything is revealed. Then we have Hui Tang and Shanggu walking in the mountains where the air was filled with the scent of sweet olive blossoms. Hui Tang asks, Do you smell the fragrance of the blossoms? I do, says Shanggu. Hui Tang says, You see, I'm hiding nothing from you. And at that moment, Shanggu has an awakening. Um, this is the only koan I, I know of someone coming to enlightenment through the sense of smell. Um, <clears throat> Zen master Ling, Ling Yuan was enlightened upon seeing the blossoms of a peach tree. And he said in a verse, For thirty years I sought a sword master. How many times have leaves fallen and new buds appeared? But ever since seeing the peach blossoms, from then till now, I have never doubted again. So I mentioned this koan has two parts. This is the first part. It's basically two aspects of, of the fundamental truth. And this is the aspect of form. Everything in the world of colour and scent and sound and taste and touch can trigger an awakening. Our planet with its oceans and rivers, mountains and forests is so rich with, so imbued with a sense of wonder, of aliveness. And of course, today this richness, this abundance of life is greatly threatened. And when facing issues around um, climate change, we need to keep our sense of wonder, to keep marvelling at this natural world, this incredibly complex and vibrant world that we live in. The nature writer Robert McFarlane, in a recent conversation with Kim Hill on National Radio that some of you may have heard. It was a great interview and he said towards the end, wonder is an essential survival skill for the Anthropocene. Wonder is an essential survival skill for the Anthropocene. Of course, being <coughs> this is the sixth great extinction, which is the first one caused by humans. So we can be inspired by the world of form, by trees and animals, and also by the variety of people, everyone unique, everyone that we meet, everything that we encounter. This carpet, this lectern, 
chairs just sitting there. That's the aspect of form. And then we come to the second part, which is also just as important. It brings out the emptiness aspect. Two months later, Shanggu visited Xixin. Xixin greeted him and said, I'll die and you'll die and we'll end up burnt into two heaps of ashes. At that time, where will we meet? Everything's gone. Everything's reduced to ash. Where will we meet? Who is it that will meet who? Shanggu tried to respond but couldn't come up with anything. Later, while on the road to Kinan, he awoke from a nap and suddenly understood Sishin's intent. Thereafter, he attains the samadhi of perfect freedom. Facing the Anthropocene, islands will go beneath the waves. Entire forests will be consumed by fire. Species will perish in increasing numbers. You'll die and I'll die. This is the truth of impermanence. The surface of the earth may become uninhabitable. Some commentators have suggested that from the perspective of deep time, after millions and millions of years, the earth will restore itself and the cycle of creation will begin again. You may take solace in that, but that doesn't address what's happening right now. So we have to merge these two aspects of form and emptiness, of creation and annihilation. This is the why it's important to realize that form is only emptiness, emptiness only form, which we chanted half an hour ago. They can't be separated can't be separated, they're intrinsically interwoven. This is the, the essence of the, of the Heart Sutra. This is what we have to realize. We can't fall into the emptiness aspect or just into the form aspect. We can't shrug our shoulders and say that there's nothing to be done, it's too late. We left it too late. That's a way of copping out. We have to love this earth passionately and do everything that we can to protect it right now. And we have to retain our sense of wonder as this will give us strength. Desolation, despondency, dejection, depression, all these words that start with DE, um, they're just entangling vines. Sishin 
first awaken to form, the scent of blossoms. Then he awakened to emptiness, to the body being reduced to a pile of ashes. Petals and ashes blow away in the wind. And the koan ends, thereafter he attained the samadhi of perfect freedom, free from all dualities. Not two, not two. When with a quote by uh, Zen Master Basui, The wonderful dharma of one's mind does not change through successive eons. It is the essence of all the sutras. If you want to comprehend the essence, you should know that the voice of frogs and crickets, the sound of wind and raindrops, all speak the wonderful language of the dharma, and that birds in flight, swimming fish, floating clouds and flowing streams all turn the Dharma wheel. We'll stop now and recite the four vows. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.